thank you for joining us for the latest Pediatric Insight brought to you by the Child Advisory Council and Career Physician. My name is Danielle Larocarina, and our topic today is going to be responsibilities of the chair of a search committee. And many of you may have encountered that and been involved at various levels, either as faculty, as committee members, as community participants, as deans responsible for um, the successful search and certainly at other executive levels of a search. I'm going to begin with preparatory phase. So what preparation is needed when assigned or assigning the role of chair of a search committee? Could you share with the audience your experience in that and some of the you know, positive uh, preparatory and some of the um, possible uh, red flags that the process is not quite ready? Really, you're looking for a, a leader that is experienced in the institution that has a, a good perspective of organization, can really um, organize and standardize the committee on the activities that they will need to uh, possess, can lead a, a very diverse group of uh, committee members through the search, um, but also has a perspective of not only the academic side um, that will be needed for this leader and what in research and education clinical care will be needed, but also understands the leadership role the next leader that is being recruited will need for the children's hospital and sort of understands the different type of clinical assignments and clinical leadership that is needed to represent the department, represent children's well. And so I think that those roles are similar, but they're not exactly alike. I think when you uh, compare that from the Department of Pediatrics side to the uh, children's hospital, there are some key differences there. I think that's why the individual that's selected really needs to have a diverse background, be well-versed both on hospital and school of medicine activities, really have a fair and balanced perspective um, that's very representative of the institution as a whole. Can you speak also to some of the nuts and bolts in that preparatory process in terms of, let's say, you know, assigning that role, but understanding bi-directional communication with that search committee chair what, from your perspective, needs to be part of the, the process of preparing that committee and the resources available to that committee? I think, um, let's say that we're looking for a chair of the Department of Pediatrics. It would be for the search committee chair to be in tune with the dean of the School of Medicine, as well as the leadership of the hospital, because it's really a joint recruitment. Um, the two groups are working together. And so I think there's a, a very close relationship the three need on on what is going to be required of the next leader, um, what are the real strengths that they see, uh, what are the real weaknesses of the current uh, department that would need to be addressed, so they know the right type of individual that they need to be recruiting both for the department itself, but also for the broader institution representing the Children's Hospital, um, as well as the School of Medicine. So I think the key, um, like anything else, is communication and to stay in a regular cadence of meetings uh, between both the School of Medicine as well as the hospital. I think, uh, again, that's why experience within the institution is important for this committee chair and somebody, again, that is uh, has a very diverse background so that um, they can lead well. I was privileged to head the search for uh, five department chairs at the university. And I, I learned over the years working with the dean, it was very important to have understand the dean's, the dean's perspective, just like when I charge my own departments, 
search committee chair to help the chair understand how important it is, how important confidentiality is, and also to understand the, the various pressures that they're likely to encounter from different constituencies and to be make sure that uh, you're available when challenges and, and issues come up, uh, especially uh, with uh, different, different constituencies. I also found that I was a better search committee chair. I'm not that I'm, you know, it's my, <laughs> that I was perfect or anything, but having served on committees, to have a search committee chair come in who is totally unfamiliar with the department or who's never been on a search and understand the dynamics and how good and bad dynamics can happen on a search uh, was really helpful to me when I was charged with uh, leading a search. And then finally, I, I, I was told early on by our dean that the, the chair should be the conduit of information. That the you know that you know the chair should really work with the committee to assure that uh, there's confidentiality and uh, that people should channel things to the search committee chair for communicating once once individuals have indicated an interest uh, because of the the hazard and the damage that can happen if every committee member's out reaching into people's departments you know saying uh, Dr. X she's applied for this job what do you think and, and it can undermine and, and and actually damage the reputation of the potential candidate so I think you know really uh, understanding the, the goals what the what the end you know do they want five candidates or do they want <laughs> three candidates uh, is, is diversity important which we all believe it absolutely is and making sure that 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 the committee is uh, committed to that. So those are some things that I just thought of as as you asked that question. I think some of the additional things that uh, I've observed in both serving on a committee, but also leading committees for you know, cancer center director or whatever, is you really have to have a chair who's got a time commitment that is going to be sufficient for the challenges of this role and responsibility. And by that, I mean that they have really got to set aside, if they if they really are intending to be successful, they have to set aside the appropriate commitment to ensure that they can have all of this communication going back and forward and being on top of all of the candidates and ensuring that the process is confidential and it's um, the same for every candidate that goes through the process. So I think they also have to be very task-oriented. They have to be someone who can actually make a timeline, hold people accountable, uh, watch to make sure there's no deviation from the goals and the expectations of each of the committee members. And they have to work extraordinarily well with the staff that are assigned to the committee to do uh, much of the uh, on the ground paperwork, Zoom, uh, Zoom meetings and whatnot. But the other thing that I think they have to be incredibly good at is they have to be in the moment, but outside of the moment. And by what I mean by that is, they have to be able to observe the interactions between the committee members and candidates. They have to sit back and watch how questions are asked, whether they're consistently the same, such that there is no chance that there's any potential for bias or undermining of a candidate going through the process. And this can be very, very subtly, it can, it can happen in very subtle ways where you don't quite 
understand that there's an agenda either within a committee member or potentially outside of the committee that's undermining the process. And that requires an individual who is constantly observing the interactions, the communications, the ways questions are being asked and answered, and also the debriefing of each candidate. You know, is everyone getting a chance to share their perspectives? Is there someone on the committee that's making it, um, driving a, an opinion or a perspective before you've heard from everybody else? So it's that kind of emotional intelligence that I think really comes from having served on a lot of search committees and watched individuals interact and being able to be somebody who can um, both um, ensure that the committee has been appropriately trained. And maybe Danielle, you'll speak to some of the training you can provide to search committee members around unconscious bias, but making sure that occurs, but in the moment, being able to live that um, expectation. And that is probably one of the most difficult things for most members of um, a search to understand. And it is definitely a significant responsibility of the chair. Thank you for touching upon an, a critical piece, which is the training. We've certainly been sensitized to the issues of bias and unconscious bias and the training that is actually necessary to raise awareness and then to have the role of the chair. So it also speaks to me something that I'd like the group to comment on is the composition of the search committee, not only the assignment to and the charge, which is what I've heard you reflect, the charge to the committee. If there is a real commitment to diversity and inclusion, is that stated clearly? And how is that reflected in the statements upstream and how is it reflected within the committee structure in the composition of the committee and um, I'm going to hand it over to to uh, Dr. Arnold Strauss to introduce himself but also what is the involvement of community members the Children's Hospital chair the Department of Pediatrics is so much embedded in what um, our responsibilities to communities thank you Danielle uh, I wanted to make Two comments. So, so the first is I think the committee chair, search committee chair, needs to be an enthusiastic advocate for the position, for the department, for the division, because that enthusiasm and positivity in, in relationship to discussions with candidates may well determine whether they're willing to accept an offered position. So enthusiasm is critical. Uh, realism, yes, and facts, yes, but um, being an advocate for the institution is really critical to the to a positive outcome uh, to a recruitment. A, a community member should be on the search committee, number one, and and I think that's uh, whether that's a parent a representative of a parent organization of the institution or the department. Um, or uh, a totally uh, somewhat unrelated person uh, who is an advocate in the community. And this is especially true because we're talking about pediatrics. Community, whether it's a school-based person or a, a neonatal uh, advocate, uh, it's really critical to have someone who understands the place of the institution, our institution, either the department or the hospital in the community and also brings the perspective to the search committee of what's important to the community um, in a particular position. 
uh, obviously depending upon which division it is. So having someone on the search committee and allowing that person to be an active participant. Um, sometimes that's hard for physicians uh, or even administrators to accept, but let them be or encourage them to be an active participant. Certainly looking at the composition is the community, but as well as gender bias and really being alert to unconscious biases and how processes go. I was actually going to touch on that very fact that, you know, Bruder, for example, was chair of pediatrics on occasion would ask people from outside his department to chair a search committee uh, for a leader in his department, which I always thought was uh, very uh, broad thinking and, and very inclusive. And, and it speaks to how, you know, medicines in a children's hospital, especially, is so multidisciplinary that that the traditional sort of academic uh, breakdown um, is, is probably uh, a stressor that needs to be considered. So having a, a, a search committee chair from a different academic department, I think sometimes has a, a lot of merit. You know, it adds adds that that broader sense of perspective. And as I said, so many programs, you know, in my own world, the, for example, the congenital heart surgery is, you know, so impactful to the institution, as well as to the Department of Cardiology and Intensive Care Medicine and Neonatology and so forth. So, you know, having someone from one of those other divisions chair a search committee like that can be, I think, a very, a very positive uh, attribute. Thank you. And I'm going to circle to Wesley Milliken for a moment to introduce himself, but also to comment on the preparatory stage, because if a search firm is involved, that preparation becomes pretty critical in uh, having that external view. So, Wesley, before we go on to the final choice of the candidate, which in itself is another process, could you comment on what you, from your perspective, see as critical that the organization have in place in order to touch upon or to be uh, responsive to all of the comments that our colleagues have made already. From building a search committee from the ground up, I, I think a leader has to think of it as a sales force because it, it really will be the, the team that represents your organization to the country uh, as it relates to that role. You know, the head of a sales force always is a pretty sophisticated person, high you know, I, I, as you can imagine, we've seen a lot of committees over the last 23 years. And, you know, it always amazes me that uh, people were put in leadership roles of committees that weren't great recruiters in their own right, in their own divisions or departments. And so, you know, I, I think it's, I think it starts with some of the basics, but EQ of a committee chair is really important because you're, you could have a situation where you have a strong internal candidate who needs credibility from a national search. So, you you know, that's a different scenario than no internal candidate where a committee is fully burdened with the sourcing efforts, you know, for a national search. And so that's related to what everybody shared. But I just think the ability of somebody, you know, Valerie, from your com comments about watching the room and managing bias and questions and such, um, we have seen those to be really important. I think if a search firm's involved, Danielle, the firm should really own managing some of those political scenarios and working, you know, typically a firm, you know, like I typically would work with the hospital leadership and the college leadership in making sure they're informed and that the search is moving and be advisory to the committee chair uh, again. But 
uh, without a firm involved, then that burden falls, you know, squarely on the shoulders of the committee chair uh, in making sure that happens. So that's absolutely critical and in, in a search ultimately getting to a successful finish and not failing. Thank you, Wesley. I'm going to tap you also to comment on a couple of things. You know, obviously, the recruitment of an individual needs to be through a fair process. I'd like you to comment very specifically on what you look for organizationally in terms of the participation of HR and the participation of the chief diversity officer. We've had many institutions, if not most of them now, assign a chief diversity officer because of uh focus, as Bruder has said, to uh, a diverse and fair process and addressing some of the key issues that communities are concerned about. I think the important part is that the institution have, have actually established processes for its committees to follow. We've done a lot of searches for the same institutions, uh, and every search committee tends to be different <laughs> in, how, in how they go about those processes. So I, I mean, that seems very uh, basic, but at, at the, you know, at the onset, does your, do you have a committee process established for your organization that every committee is, is to follow, right? And that could be everything from implicit bias training on the front end that every committee has to document that's been completed. How does the organization define a diverse process, which can be uh, everything from required candidate makeup before you can submit list to, you know, list of finalists, the, the pool of candidates has to meet certain expectations, uh, which really presses a committee to deliver. It's clear, right? But it creates, it creates a whole nother initiative on, you know, for the committee chair to have to live into. I think having a diversity officer on the search committee has been helpful to us, uh, you know, because they are much, much like a department chair, uh, of, of OB that's part of a pediatric search has certain things that are of interest and important to them about the department and its relationship to their department. The, the diversity officer ultimately would be the flag bearer, if you will, for all things diversity with that committee and making sure that they stay on track to meet the obligations of the organization uh, and its commitment to, you know, to JEDI. So from a firm perspective, I still believe that the way to ensure, you know, for a committee chair uh, to ensure a diverse search is to make sure that that committee has done its level best to make sure every possible candidate in North America knows about that opportunity. I mean, when we look at it from our perspective, that's what we can deliver, making sure every nephrologist, making sure every chair candidate in the country knows about the opportunity so that everybody has a fair opportunity uh, to apply for that role versus just, you know, relying on what comes from an ad or a few faculty referrals for an opportunity and settling for that. But as far as HR's involvement uh, in the search process, uh, again, I don't, I don't see them as being as involved in the middle of the process. They may be very involved in selecting a firm if a firm in, is involved and they may be very involved in onboarding and can be the ones that establish a process for the organization as it relates to how they run their searches. But it tends to, you know, once it gets kicked off and a chair's name tends to get, you know, pretty specific to just the search committee, uh, you know, until it's handed back off to the dean or the chair as it may be. My next question, and I'll start with Valerie, if 
you could comment on that, that final process. Let's assume that you've gone through a thoughtful process that the composition really reflects. Then how do we get to that final candidate choice? Well, you know, the process of a, a search, we've spent most of our time talking about, you know, selecting the chair and a little bit of time on selecting the committee structure and then you know a number of comments about the role of the chair in managing the dynamics of the of the committee but you know there's quite a few steps from there towards getting the final list of candidates um you know it involves as as wesley said you know throwing a very broad net and ensuring that you're not limited by the individuals that you don't know about because you haven't broadly uh, sought out uh candidates um and ensure that you have a very diverse pool of candidates. You know, there should be a process in the committee for vetting the uh, documentation. And in the documentation that you request from each candidate interested in the position should be exactly the same. You should never deviate and allow candidates to submit different pieces of documentation that are not what has been set forward for the entire group. And that extends to individuals who might want to send you externally to the committee, you know, people that know names that have been put forward sending you information, you should not as a chair, you know, you should vet all of that and keep that out. Um, every candidate should have a dossier that's exactly the same components as the next candidate. Um, you know, there's a first phase of vetting where you get a pool that you think are individuals that meet all of the expectations of the roles from there the committee generally selects a subset of those qualified candidates to be brought forward for a first phase of the process. Now, this can vary from institution to institution. Some institutions are doing all of this by Zoom. Some institutions are doing it by a combination of Zoom and some on-campus visits. It can vary, but essentially it's the first phase of culling a larger pool of candidates towards a shorter subset of candidates that will be eventually invited for the second and potentially a third phase of the process. From the second phase, it's a lot more in-depth with a lot more one-on-ones. Um, generally, the first phase is done with the entire committee or subsets of the committee in some process, like Zoom, as, we just, as I mentioned. In the second phase, generally, the candidates uh, participate in much more one-on-ones with key stakeholders of the group that they would be leading and key stakeholders that the group, uh, the division interacts with within the hospital system and the university system and so on and so forth. Um, the evaluation forms that are developed for each of those two phases should be exactly the same. The committee should be instructed on how those forms are completed. Every committee member should meet the expectations of the time frame for the evaluation forms to be brought forward. Um, generally, at each of these phases, first and second, there's a deliberation period with the committee at large where the entire group is given a chance to comment on individual candidates. We generally always recommend starting with the wonderful qualities of the candidate, all the things that we think make them be uh, potentially a great individual for this role and responsibility. And then after those opinions are shared, then some of the red flags or some of the issues that they think the candidate might require some additional support for. In other words, they're a wonderful candidate, but they're missing this in their portfolio. 
is it a, a dead ringer for them not to be successful? No. What would we have to put in place in order for them to be successful? And at the end of this first and second phase, generally, there is a process whereby the chair of the committee and the committee, if this is what the dean or the president uh, would like you to do, you know, oftentimes they'll give you some guidelines. I want you to give me a list of three or four people. I don't want you to rank them or I want you to rank them. Whatever the expectations that were set out for you should be fulfilled honestly um, and transparently amongst the group. Um, that ranked or unranked list would then go forward by the chair to the individual that gave the original charge to the committee, i.e. the dean or the president or the chancellor. From there, there's generally another phase um, that oftentimes may not actually involve the search committee. And sometimes it will involve the search committee, but basically the, the final selection of the candidates in most of the searches that I've participated in, and I'd be interested to hear about others, um, is that we bring forward a slate of candidates whereby any one of the individuals, two or three or four, we as a committee feel very confident that they would be outstanding candidates for the role. And in addition, in all the committees I've participated in, we've always offered things that should be thought of with each of the candidates in order to ensure their success should be, they be the eventual candidate for the role. So thank you. That was pretty comprehensive. And I'll, I'll jump in to say that when I've given a charge to a chair of a committee, I have always said the following, please do not bring forward anyone you do not want to see in that position. That is the responsibility of the committee to not put forward because there's a lot of hindsight in saying, well, this this person didn't didn't succeed. It's the fault of X, Y, or Z. No, this is a team process, which I think some of you have commented on. This is a team process. Will it ever be perfect? Never. But we want to be fair. We want to be non-discriminatory. We want to be balanced. Just a couple follow-up thoughts on what Valerie has shared. As a committee chair, it's important that you and the dean, you and the chair, before the committee starts, have a pretty clear understanding of the charge. In the meeting, the initial search committee meeting, where the leader charges the committee, I think to have some questions that help to further clarify the charge uh, in front of the committee really helps the group to focus. And a great example would be, and I'm, I'm just making one up, but it comes up all the time. Does our new leader need to be R funded? Just, it, it, you know, do they need to be a card carrying scientist, you know, in pediatrics because of the shortages of fully formed leaders? Uh, I think it's become more of a leadership question and that uh, somebody needs to also be able to support all the missions. But I bring that up because when you're really looking for a diverse process, uh, and, and as we know, diversity is many things. And so if you have a committee that gets CVs and cover letters and diversity statements, but they're only looking for scientists, you may have just eliminated a lot of really good diverse leaders from your pool before you even get started in the process. And so as the chair of that committee, you, you're really going to have to be the one to say, 
I know they've only been a division chief for three years, but they are considered to be a future star. So is it worth our time just to have a one hour virtual meeting with them to get to know them better? You know, and ultimately you're fostering diversity by giving those young leaders an experience uh, to grow and develop, but you're also ensuring um, that when you do submit your unranked group list to the, the, the decision manager that, you know, you really have talked to lots of people about the opportunity and feel like that who you're sending is the best of the best. And we all know that young superstars who get a supported opportunity early in their careers go on to do great things in academic pediatrics. And so many of you on this call represent that, <laughs> you know, so I, I, Again, but if you leave it up to a committee, sometimes they're going to eliminate some of your best people just by looking at their paper, right, without ever getting to know them as a leader. And and that's really what the committee is supposed to be doing is getting to know them as a leader, uh, not a scientist, not an educator, not a clinician. Those all those all play a role. And I think the last thing I would share, you know, again, Valerie, great, great work walking us through the committee process. But if a firm is involved, I think as the committee chair, you also have to make sure that that you're you're also ma you're making sure the committee gets to experience all the candidates that the firm has identified. Sometimes some of my search colleagues will eliminate a lot of people and bring bring you this group of eight or ten people. That's assuming that that search organization knows your organization as well as you and the members of the committee for them to be able to eliminate or add people to a pool. And so I think ensuring that they may have their opinions, which is good, they're leadership executives and you want their input. That's why you've engaged them. But we've just always have believed no matter what we think, the committee needs to see absolutely every candidate uh, that we've communicated with about the role and ultimately be able to make their decision about what's best for their you know, their institution or their program. And it's just another way to, to mitigate bias, right? Because search firm executives may have a different perspective on leadership than a chair or a chief or a head of research for an organization. And so, you know, anybody they eliminate that you never saw didn't get their chance to be advocated for by those that are ultimately going to be working with them. Given the import of what we're talking about, um, I've often had concerns that not all uh, academic institutions place as much value on participation in the search process, you know, i.e. when you're up for promotion, does having chaired a search committee, uh, is that viewed as, a, as an important contribution? And I'm not sure that it is at all the institutions, and I'm just sort of making a plea that it should be, given how important it, it really is. Participation on the committee, but certainly chairing a search committee are really a major accomplishment for, I think, an academic physician. What is the best way in communicating that announcement, who should do that? And also, if you could comment a bit on the follow-up, which Valerie commented on in terms of the support for that new individual. Communicating the selection is and how it's done is critical. It needs to be done first and foremost with uh, approval and input of the successful candidate. You don't want to announce something that they have not discussed with their home institution, prior institution, uh, and you want to make sure that all that you communicate is accurate. What they've done prior, what their expertise is, what their focus is, um, so that the people uh, in your 
department or division know a little bit more detail about what their major interests are. So with the candidate. And then I would say also with enthusiasm. You've made a selection. You think it's the right person. They need your a vote of confidence from you as a leader uh, in your communication from the get-go. And it's also helpful to make sure that you communicate uh, those who have been involved in the selection process so that the institution appreciates uh, their input. As Bob just said, this is a key, key thing. Uh, you know, I recruited, I think, 35 division chiefs when I was chair of pediatrics, and they're the future of the institution. So you need to be enthusiastic about them and then to get to your last point, point supportive of them. So how are you supportive by direct involvement? So as the chair meeting with a new division director regularly to start with is really critical uh, and, and helping them, making them feel comfortable and asking questions and then making sure that uh, as much as you can, you support them with the right people, the right funds and the right space. Regular meeting, regular communication and palpable support, I think are really critical. And then enthusiasm. Now, occasionally it's the wrong person. And when that happens, you need to communicate as well. Or if they're doing something that is in the first few months that indicates a lack of understanding about the institution and the values of the institution, those corrections or those uh, deficiencies need to be pointed out quickly and honestly so that they can adjust and consider the values of the institution, partially because it's difficult to learn everything about a new role, a new institution in a short period of time. So enthusiasm, honesty, transparency, uh, I think are critical in the communication. One other aspect of the communication is to the candidates who weren't selected. It is shocking sometimes that it gets down to three candidates. Everyone knows they're the final candidates. They've been there for their visit. Uh, one is selected and there's been no communication with the two other very successful, talented people. And they could be potential leaders in other aspects of the organization. They'll certainly be colleagues nationally or, you know, in their field. And it's really important, I've found, to to have honest and, and uh, try to remain retain the relationships with those great people because they can be very supportive of the person that you choose. And also sometimes you can recruit them for other jobs, but it's it's just tragic. And people get, it's just, you ruin relationships by not uh, really having a thoughtful conversation with the people who aren't selected at the end. I think that's something that sometimes is overlooked. So I want to thank all of my council members and summarize very, very briefly for what you have eloquently discussed, which is enthusiasm. Arnie, I'm going to pick up on your point of enthusiasm. I think a real enthusiasm and commitment to the task and commitment to the mission, because ultimately, why are we doing this? We are trying to do, we are doing this to affect the health outcomes for the children, adolescents, young adults that we care for. That is the goal and the charge to the committee. Integrity in the process is something I heard from every single one of you. Integrity in that process. That means the elimination of bias, standardizing the process, making sure that we have, as Wesley said, a full view of the applicant pool. And we have struggled in our profession to do that. 
evaluation is part of that. Are we doing it effectively? I thought of another term, which we didn't use, but informational justice, meaning how do we communicate effectively in that process? And we're not going to get it all right. But I loved Arnie's point about follow-up and corrective actions, because if we're really committed, we've done this elaborate process and we're really committed to this individual, let's say they don't get it right the first few months. What is our responsibility in mapping out the corrective actions? We've talked a little bit about mentoring and coaching, and I've talked to individuals who have said that they've had a coach at every, and it's different uh, coaching at the C-suite may be very different from other coaching. How do we tailor that coaching to the person? And then service, recognizing that this is an important process and setting the, the tone for the future of the organization, crediting those who have done that and supporting innovation, however it is that we are, you know, we define it, whether it is how many NIH grants you have or have you done something of impact to change the health outcomes in our community? What is that innovation and how do we do it in a way that is truly inclusive? So thank you all for this wonderful conversation. As always, I always learn something from these conversations and I hope our audience enjoys it. Thank you.